Hi, this is Kevin McCullough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Outlook podcast, where we cover today's issues from a perspective that honors your Christian faith. Our podcast is brought to you through a partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I trust you'll enjoy. Leela Gilbert is one of the authors of Heroic Faith, Hope Amid Global Persecution, along with Ariel Del Turco and uh, William Boykin. Uh, And uh, really, it's a powerful book that we want you to know about. So uh, we welcome her to the show. Leah Leah is an award-winning writer has authored or co-authored more than 60 books. She authored Saturday People, Sunday People, Israel, Through the Eyes of a Christian Sojourner, and also co-authored Persecuted, The Global Assault on Christians. Uh, she wrote that with Nina Shea and Paul Marshall. Uh, Leila, it's an honor to welcome you to the show. Thanks for taking time to join us. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. Now, in your own uh, book, uh, as a matter of fact, your colleague Paul Marshall, uh, one of the endorsers of the book, uh, said, as the persecution of Christians is increasing rapidly through the world, this timely book calls your attention to what's happening in key areas in various countries around the world. So take us there. What are some of the things readers will learn when they take a look at this book and uh, along with that, how do we explain the really exponential rise of persecution of Christians in recent years around the world? Well, those are big questions. And uh, to begin with, uh, I think one of the features of heroic faith that I've kind of enjoyed, I've worked on, as you noticed, one other book and, and actually two other books with Paul Marshall on the subject. But this book incorporates a lot more personal stories of people who are in these countries and what kind of experiences they're having with persecution. And I think that makes it a little more interesting read because it's one thing to say this is going on. It's another to say, what does it look like? So that's one question. The other reason I think that we're seeing so much violence is there's increasing Islamist activity in, in several places, most notably in Africa and in the Middle East. And it it is going into places also like Indonesia and so forth. So we're seeing this rise in that. And also some of these communist and post-communist countries are run by totalitarian governments, and they do not tolerate a higher power, which means God. (laughs) And so when people believe in Jesus, believe in, in a higher power of any kind, but particularly conversion to Christianity causes people to really put that first. And that's not pleasing to dictators and their minions. So I guess if that sort of gives a sketch of what we're talking about in the book, um, we talk about Africa, Middle East, uh, Asia, and a little special section on Afghanistan. And as you already have said, uh, the story is so much more powerful than the statistic. And uh, these are first-person stories. How have they been gathered? I'm sure not any one particular way, but how have you been able to garner and gather these stories together that will really put a face on them, so to speak? Well, that's a really important question, because one of the reasons Americans don't know what's going on is because these stories aren't so easy to find. There are publications that come out from International Christian Concern, Voice of the Martyrs, to uh, Open Doors, different organizations that focus on this. And I subscribe to those, so we all do, and those that work in this field. So we collect the stories, but we also talk to people on the ground that when we, when we have contacts, uh, for example, in Nigeria 
or in other places uh, that are having serious problems, we get the stories from them as well. But following those those newsletters is the main reason I know what's going on. I ask them to be sent to me in my email, and so I follow them that way. Well, we know uh, this audience particularly, uh, I'm sure, is uh, at least somewhat acquainted with one of the stories, and uh, that is Leah Sherabu. Uh, we've talked about her a number of times, in fact, on this very program, still held by Boko Haram. Uh, that's particularly a focus of yours. Uh, take us more into the story for some folks who don't know really much about her and uh, update us, if you can, on what the situation with her is now. Yes, well, Leah was 14 years old when she was kidnapped. I, she was kidnapped in 2018, and so she's been uh, there for four or five years. She was the one girl. There were 100, over 100 girls that were kidnapped from a girls' school. She was the only one who refused to repent or recount her Christian faith, uh, deny her Christian faith, I should say. And she was kept behind when all the other girls were released. And and she has never, ever been released since. She was able to write a couple of notes to her mother when she was first taken, and those were published, and they're in our book. But after that, it's been pretty much silence. I think there have been efforts privately made to try to get her out. But thus far, she has not been released, and there are reports, and there are credible reports, that she now has two children born by from her captors. So that means she's been sexually abused uh, on top of all the rest of the cruelties that go on in these cases. It's a tragic story, and I wish I had a ha- happy update. I don't. There's no news. And there hasn't been for quite some time. We do believe she's still living. We've heard that. I heard that from a Nigerian uh, that was involved in trying to find her. So we do believe she's alive, but we don't know any more than that, except that she's now uh, still captive and probably still being abused. And Leela, I understand that a lot of your work has surrounded uh, the lack of religious freedom in the nation that you just alluded to a few minutes ago, uh, the West African nation of Nigeria. Uh, some of the voices, uh, such of that of uh, Frank Wolf and others, calling it even genocide that's been unleashed against Christians in that country. Uh, the U.S. State Department's being uh, pressured uh, to return the status of Nigeria to a country of particular concern. Uh, what are your own thoughts uh, about that nation and what's happening to Christians there? Oh, it's a it's a terrible situation. Uh, the government there is at least useless and probably complicit in what's going on. It appears that it's an Islamist effort on two fronts, Boko Haram, which is now affiliated with ISIS, and the Fulani radicals or Fulani tribesmen, they have several terms, who are essentially running in, they go into villages, Christian villages, they burn the houses, they massacre the people, terrible violence that's really unspeakable, and burn everything down and then drive everyone out. And so there are huge amounts of refugees who are the survivors of these things. But it's true that you can't prove it to be massive genocide. I mean, you can't go in with a, a... 
to a court of law and say that, but it appears that that's the intention, is to remove these populations of Christians so that the Islamist populations can come into their land and their homes and whatever's left and and possess it. And so that's what we're seeing, and it's getting worse. And uh, since the CPC was removed, I think it has incrementally gotten worse in the country, and nobody seems to do anything about it. Is there any guess, and that's probably all it would be, although maybe an educated guess, as to why when this administration came into the White House, it uh, that was one of the first things they did. They took Nigeria off the list of countries of international or of uh, particular concern, CPCs. Uh, any idea as uh, to why they did that? Has there any been any discussion maybe behind the scenes that you might be privy to? Well, I, the two possibilities, and they may intertwine, one is that there's always money involved in these things, and it may be because of trade and some sort of benefit that we're trying to gain, uh, say, opposing China's efforts to do the same. We may be competing with China for for trade and so forth, or it may be because we are buying into this theory, and it's just so ridiculous, that this is because of climate change. We have a political position that there's really not persecution. It's climate change that's leading people to do desperate things. It's not religious. And so we have those two issues that come up, whether they caused this or whether there was a backroom deal that we have no idea about. And maybe it was just undoing Trump. You know, it was a Trump decision, a Trump administrative decision to finally do this. should have been done years ago. And there was a big effort to undo anything Trump did in those early months. And I wonder about that as well. Again, we're talking about heroic faith, hope amid global persecution, just out. It's provided by Family Research Council and uh, Leela Gilbert, Ariel DeTurco, and uh, Lieutenant General Retired Jerry Boykin, all authors of this remarkable work. I highly encourage you to uh, to get copies of it, share them with others as well. And uh, mentioning China, as you did a moment ago, Leela, uh, one of the endorsers of the book, of course, our good friend Bob Fu, who points out that this has been a relentless and expanding uh, persecution against Christians in his home country for many, many years. What can you tell us about some of the things this book reveals in that regard? China has been on the radar of Christian persecution for decades, and it doesn't stop the growth of Christianity there, which is amazing. It has actually, I think the reports are now saying that there are more, there are more Christians in China than members of the Communist, the, the Communist Party there. Whether that can be proved or not, I don't know, but I have seen those reports in, in publications like The Economist. So it's not just mythology. But, yes, the, the pressure on any religious group, you know, Falun Gong, which is a sort of meditative group, and the Uyghurs in China who are really experiencing something comparable to the Third Reich in the way they're being abused in concentration camps, any religious group or any group that seems to have a priority beyond the Communist Party will be abused. And Christianity has just, it just flourishes there in spite of the persecution. 
And, you know, they were sending missionaries, the underground church was sending missionaries into Israel when I lived there. <laughs> they're, they're just so full of joy and hope. And so they put us to shame, to be honest, uh, these faithful people. Talk about, if you would also, uh, the fact that, uh, as has been noted, we just passed the one-year anniversary of the fall of Kabul to the the Taliban. And, in fact, I understand uh, Chapter 4 is titled Afghanistan, a Snapshot of a Religious Freedom Disaster. How badly have things gotten there, and uh, has it gone from bad to very much worse under Taliban? We were told that perhaps there, there may be a possibility of working with that uh, owner, onerous regime, but what's the what's the situation now? It's the worst country in the world, according to Open Doors. After many years, I think twenty plus years of North Korea being number one of the worst of the worst uh, persecuted countries, Afghanistan is now the worst. There is absolutely no haven for Christians there. They are the ones that have been outed are on the run. They're in safe houses. They're trying to get to the borders, trying to get out, or they're just standing up and, and being martyred. And it's it's phenomenal um, because we didn't know there were Christians there. I mean, I've worked in this field for a long time, and I, of course we knew there would be random Christians here and there. We had no idea there was a thriving underground church that had been there for a long time, and they're almost entirely converts from Islam. And that's why they're targeted, because according to the radical interpretations of Islam, uh, any kind of apostasy is a capital crime. And so they will be killed if they're found. And there are people that have outed them, outed lists of them during the war, during this last conflict when we were just leaving and there was so much turmoil. These lists got released to the Taliban. And so some people were killed and some are on the run. Some have been rescued, but it's very expensive to get aircraft in there to get them out. It's almost impossible now. We were able to get them on planes during the time of the evacuation, but now it's it's just almost impossible. And then there's the great nation of India, which is often called uh, the world's largest democracy, but that apparently is far from the case as well when it comes to people living out their faith. Am I right? Well, that's true. There's a Hindu nationalist movement, and the the prime minister is is part of it, and it becomes very violent uh, in in certain areas. It's not, you know, everywhere all the time. But yes, uh, Christians, I've got, we've got reports in the book about families that were attacked because they were praying in their home, and somebody, again, outed them, and these radicals, and these are radical Hindus, not Muslims. In fact, they persecute the Muslims there, as well as the Christians. But yeah, it's a it's a nationalist movement, but it's also very very hostile to Christianity. It's it, it accuses Christianity proselytizing. Well, Christians do bear witness, so it's probably there's some truth to it. But I don't think it's an aggressive effort to convert Hindus as much as just to share faith. So that's what I know about it. I mean, it's it's uh, not reported much. And I think because of trade and India is sort of an ally, it doesn't get as much uh, media attention as some of the other more hostile countries. Final question, uh, and I appreciate the time you've given us, Leela. Hope we can have you and your colleagues back again uh, at a future point. But we know it was the great uh, World War II Christian martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said, 
Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. My question is, how do you explain the deafening silence? And I've said this many times over this microphone through the years. Uh, How do we explain the deafening silence on the part of much of the American church, the Western church, the free world church, on the persecution of our fellow believers? Uh, uh, And how can Americans listening right now change that and say, we want to speak up, we want to make a difference? Well, part of it is ignorance. Part of it is what I described before. It's very hard to get this information. You have to go after it. And churches become very focused on their needs, their local needs, whether they have some problem in the neighborhood or somebody got arrested for something that was Christian. You know, there are various things that distract. But I think pastors could be informed and could keep up with this and follow it. It would help the whole congregation to have prayer every week for specific cases. That's what I would like to see. And introducing it to busy pastors doesn't come easily. But, you know, we live like kings in this country. We are very wealthy. Even our poor people live better than the people in Nigeria. And we are very quick to overlook uh, the needs beyond ourselves. And I think that God's called us in our wealth, and I'm not talking, and I'm certainly not rich, but we live well, we can reach out, we can help, and we need to spread the word, and we need to, you know, share these stories in our churches and with our pastors and say, we want to pray for Nigeria, we want to pray for India, we want to pray for Afghanistan, where all this horror is going on, and keep talking to our leaders about this and ask them to, to share the burden. We thank you for helping us do that, Leela, very, very much. Thank you for the book. Thank your colleagues on our behalf as well for it. And we'll talk again. Thank you. And thank you. God bless you. Again, Leela Gilbert and she and two others have written a powerful book that I do highly recommend. As a matter of fact, I'd suggest you get a copy of this and put it in the hands of your pastor. And he uh, can really be blessed and informed by it. I think she put it well that uh, the information is not necessarily easy to come by, but it can certainly be found in books such as this one. Heroic Faith, Hope Amid Global Persecution. Thanks for listening to Christian Outlook. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy our podcast, take a moment and tell a friend to subscribe today.